If you're tired of dieting and stepping on the scale, you're lacking energy and confidence, and you're ready to harness your inner athlete, then you're in the right place. I'm Sherry Shaban, and in each episode, I'll help you to rebuild your fitness identity and empower your deepest transformation so that health and fitness are not just what you do, but who you are. Welcome back to the show, athletes. We've heard it before. Let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. Today's guest could not be a better example of just how powerful the impact of food is on our bodies, not only to support our performance, but physiologically on a mitochondrial level. Dr. Terry Walls is an Institute for Functional Medicine certified practitioner and a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa, where she conducts clinical trials. Her trials test the effect of nutrition and lifestyle interventions to treat MS and other progressive health problems. She also teaches the public and medical community about the healing power of the paleo diet and therapeutic lifestyle changes that restore health and vitality. She is also a patient with secondary progressive multiple sclerosis, which confined her to a tilt recline wheelchair for four years. Dr. Walls restored her health using a diet and lifestyle program she designed specifically for her brain and now pedals her bike to work each day. In her 2011 TED Talks, which received over three and a half million views, Dr. Walls shares her story and protocol. She's the author of The Walls Protocol, How I Beat Progressive MS Using Paleo Principles and Functional Medicine. She's also the author of The Walls Protocol, A Radical New Way to Treat All Chronic Autoimmune Conditions Using Paleo Principles, and the cookbook, The Walls Protocol, Cooking for Life, The Revolutionary Modern Paleo Plan to Treat All Chronic Autoimmune Conditions. Dr. Walls, thank you so much for being here today. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So we want to, I guess, start off by sharing your story because it fascinated me so much. It moved me to tears. Mm -hmm. And I want to share this with our viewers because you have this hunger for treatment, this hunger for finding information. And a lot of it was studies that you found on your own and you've created an entire protocol that has helped thousands of people all over the world. So today, hopefully you can share that with us as well. Well, let me take you back 20 years ago. I'm out walking uh, with my wife, a half mile from home. My left leg becomes weak. Now dragging it, I hobble home. I see my neurologist who says, Terry, this could be bad, really, really bad. At night in bed next to Jackie, I think about my zingers, the jolts of electrical face pain that have grown relentlessly worse for 20 years, not wanting to become a burden. I'm secretly praying for a fatal diagnosis. Mm -hmm. It takes only three years. I take the mitoxantral infusions, I get the short recline wheelchair, I try Tizabri, then Salcept, but nothing is helping. Mm -hmm. I am too weak to sit up in a, at my desk. I order a zero gravity chair that lets me recline back with my knees higher than my nose, and I learn to let go of my future. Mm -hmm. Instead, I take each day as it unfolds. Mm -hmm. Oh, my zingers turn on. These are the electrical jolts of face pain. My 10-year-old daughter hugs me, but it triggers more zingers. But I am a physician. Night after night, I go to PubMed to read the basic science studies of Alzheimer's, ALS, MS, Parkinson's, 
and I begin experimenting based on what I learn. The speed of my decline slows, and then I discover a steady using electrical stimulation of muscles. I ask my physical therapist, can I try that? He says, Terry, this is for athletes. We may be able to grow muscles for you, but we don't know that your brain can talk to those muscles. Plus, it is really painful. And I say, I'm an athlete. I competed in the Pan American Trials and full contact free sparring. I can do this. He lets me have a test session. It does hurt pretty bad. But when it's over, I feel great. And I begin doing e-stim to as much pain as I can tolerate. Now, I know I cannot recover, but is there more that I could do to slow my decline? I add daily meditation. I go back and I redesign my paleo diet based on all the science that I've been studying. One month later, I sit <laughs> at my desk. It's incredible. Three months later, those zingers, those horrible zingers of 27 years are gone. And five months later, I walk without even a cane. And then for the first time in six years with my son, Zach, jogging on the left, my daughter, Zeb, on the right, I get back on my bike. It wobbles, but I catch my balance and I am biking. And my family is crying tears of joy. So and that, of course, transforms how I think about disease and health. It will transform the way I practice medicine, and it transforms the research that I do. Ten years later, I received the Linus Pauling Award for my groundbreaking clinical research and patient care. And now I touch the lives of millions, restoring their hope for a better future for themselves and their family. Mm -hmm. And so... I am thrilled to be here to have a chance to talk with you and your audience. Thank you so much. So I think the first question is, how did you come to the paleo diet and what were you doing before that? You know, so I uh, had adopted a low fat uh, diet. Um, uh, so lots of beans, lots of rice. Um, I, yeah, I was still having dairy. I was certainly having uh, plenty of whole grains. Uh, and so this would have looked like a very heart healthy, uh, terrific diet. Uh, everyone would have said this, I should be doing great. It would have looked very much like a, uh, a swank diet, a McDougal diet, uh, very similar to a Mediterranean diet. But for me, you know, um, I had, had not done well. Uh, once I'd been diagnosed, I was steadily going downhill. My neurologist had introduced me to the work of Lauren Cordain. Right. I read his books. Uh, decided that, that there was at least a scientific rationale for his position. So after a bunch of prayer and meditation, I went back to eating meat. It was a, a, a big deal. It was a transition. But I continued to decline. Right. Uh, so the next year, I needed to recline wheelchair. Uh, my trigeminal neuralgia is progressively worse. Uh, and interest, interestingly enough, I stay with it because it's like, okay, I don't know how long it takes to repair all the damage. Um, uh, but I stay with it. You know, I'm taking mitoxantrin, I take Tizabri, I take Celsept. And so it's very clear that despite seeing the best people in the country taking the most aggressive drugs that were available, I was, uh, it was very clear that I was headed towards being bedridden 
demented, and quite possibly having intractable, untreatable pain. Mm -hmm. So at that point, when you're searching for a different way to eat, are you looking for ways to reduce inflammation or to restore certain deficiencies in our body or both? So, you know, at, at that time, I'm reading the basic science and I'm really focused on, at first, I'm looking uh, at drug studies. And I do that for a couple of years. And then I have like, well, this is crazy. I can't access these drugs. I should be reading about things that I can access. So I, I, I'm looking for uh, off-label uses of drugs and give up on that. And then I uh, have an aha, like, well, maybe I should be looking for vitamins and supplements. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I do that. And I add these vitamins and supplements to my food regimen. And that slows my decline, you know, and I'm, and I'm very, very grateful. Right. But I, I'm still declining. Um, and I clearly have been told by all of my neurologists that functions once lost are, will be gone forever, that I should not expect to recover back. Um, so I'm doing all of this not to recover. I'm doing this to, to keep what limited function I have as long as possible. Right. So where, where does this, this hunger come from or this drive comes from that is essentially relentless? I mean, I yes. imagine after, after four years of research and trying different things and certain things not working out, most people would give up. But where does that drive for you come from? So I'm a mom. I have two young kids. So when I'm diagnosed, um, my son is eight, my daughter's five. And, you know, at, at that point, I had been, you know, an athlete. We'd been very active. We had then rolled in this travel, uh, snow uh, skiing, uh, winter camping. Uh, and I'm having to continually reimagine my life uh, as I'm becoming progressively more disabled. Mm. And one of the things I'm thinking about is what is it that's most to me? And that is that my kids become successful adults, that they're emotionally, uh, financially resilient. And that means I have to model resilience and that, yep, life's not fair, but you get up and you do the best you can every day anyway. Uh, and so you know, I'm doing my little workout that's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, I'm going to work every day. I'm giving them chores. Uh, and I realize that this is now the only tool I have left in my toolbox are my daily choices of I'm going to keep doing everything that I can. Mm. Right. So, you know, when we look at certain life events happening to us, we we have two options and it's always a matter of perception. It's things are happening either to us or for us. And it's very clear that this happened for you because you are now a huge advocate creating amazing mm -hmm. awareness all around the world with the power of food and of course the ability to work through any condition and reverse any condition. So where do you find is the greatest block for most people? Why do most people accept to be a victim versus using what has happened to them to empower them to find a solution and a breakthrough? You know, I think, um, uh, fortunately, I grew up uh, on a farm. Uh, life was not fair. Uh, it was difficult. Uh, but you, you know, your cows had to be milked. The hay had to be brought in. Crops had to be taken care of. And so every day I saw that, yep, you had to go out and take care of your responsibilities. Mm -hmm. 
I also uh, remember a book that uh, I really liked a great deal, uh, Man's Search for Meaning mm -hmm. by Viktor Frankl. And one of his uh, theses was that between every event in our life and our response to it is a space. And in that space, we make a choice that defines our character. Um, so I, I talked to my kids uh, as they were children and even now that we're all going to have to lose things that are incredibly important to us. Uh, it may be uh, uh, physical possessions, it may be people, um, but uh, we will all face loss. Uh, that may be very painful. What we have to do is think about what can we learn at this moment in my life that will allow me to go forth. And there will always be things that I can learn. Right. There will always be uh, things that will allow me to be more successful, to move forward, to find contributions in other ways. Right. Sometimes it's obvious. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is not, and you have to really search uh, deep to find what that might be. Yes, 100%. So coming back to that moment where you were able to walk unassisted, and then of course, the day you were able to ride a bike, what was that for you? What was that feeling for you? Um, well, you know, if I, if I talk about my bike ride in a little more detail, um, you know, I had been walking around the neighborhood, walking without a cane. Uh, uh, and so it was a huge difference because, you know, six months earlier, I, I couldn't even sit up. But when you have a neurodegenerative condition, you, as I mentioned, that I had, I had let go of my future. I, I was taking each day as it unfolded. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what walking now meant because I... I had let go of my future. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I'd asked my uh, wife, you know, do you think I could, um, I could try biking? Uh, and she said, well, you know, maybe things keep going well, maybe in the fall, three or four months, we could, we could get the bikes out and try. Uh, and a couple of weeks later, it's, it's Mother's Day, you know, beautiful spring day. Uh, I'm in the garage. Uh, my son's been riding my bike. He's six foot five uh, because I had, hadn't been riding in a long time. So I decide I want to try riding my bike. I put on my helmet. I, I start adjusting the seat down. My family hears me in the garage. We have this emergency family meeting. My kids don't want me to ride because they're, they're afraid that I'll fall. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but my wife says, okay, let's try. Uh, and so she tells Zach, you're going to run on the left. Zeb, you're on the right. Uh, we all get in position. I'm on the curb. Uh, and she gives a signal. I push off. You know, and I'm wobbling, but I catch my balance. And I'm biking. And, uh, you know, Zach's jogging and Zeb's jogging and they're crying and Jackie's crying. And I'm crying because this, this was so miraculous mm -hmm. to all of us. And it was at that moment that I really understood that the, the current understanding of progressive MS was incomplete and that who knew what my future would hold and who knew how much recovery might be possible. Hmm. So you know, every day we'd go out uh, and I'd bike, I'd bike a little bit further 
so that that was you know uh mother's day in in october jackie uh comes in and says you know honey the courage ride uh is going to be happening let's sign you up this is an 18.5 mile ride and and so we sign up at that at that point the longest i'd ridden was eight miles and i'm like okay that that's pretty far because but you know however far you go you go Uh, so uh, once again, you know, uh, my family and I, we head out. I have to have a couple of, of rests along the way, but I make it 18.5 miles. So, you know, once again, my family's crying, I'm crying. We're all sort of blubbering around. Uh, and so what is remarkable is that the, the October, the year before, I could not sit up. And now I had just done an 18.5 mile bike ride entirely on my own. So of course, this really fundamentally changes my understanding of disease and health. Mm-hmm. It changes the way I talk to my patients. I'm asking my patients what they're eating, what they're doing, um, uh, what are their uh, self-care routines. And and my residents, you know, they're they're, they're shocked that I'm so effective at talking to patients about diet and lifestyle and inspiring them to make incremental changes that are so transformative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's so profound about this is not only are you able to regain a lot of function at the time, but you're also able to keep this function up until today because. Oh, and I continue to grow. Right. I continue to get stronger. You know, I'm doing more pushups. Uh, I saw my neurologist uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah, and so, you know, I'm 66. Uh, I've had uh, MS now, in retrospect, uh, over 45 years. Wow. If you go back to my, my first symptoms, but or since diagnosis, 27 years, uh, you know, I'm walking, hiking, uh, biking, uh, doing push-ups. Uh, you know, uh, I was doing my balance test. I said, okay, let's stand on one foot. So, okay, how about with my eyes closed? Because like, oh my God. You know, healthy people can't do that. Uh, uh, and so clearly I'm continuing to get stronger. Uh, and if you look at uh, serial photos of me, and, you know, I keep looking younger and younger and younger. Um, now my hair is getting more gray. So <laughs> I, I clearly haven't solved uh, that nut yet. Uh, and we've done a, a telomere uh, assay uh, on myself. And you know when I first did that, about Sherry, I was like, "Well, m- prepare yourself, Terry, because you know you have MS, you have progressive MS. It's you're probably going to be like 10, 15 years older than stated age, than your you know chronologic age. Uh, and you just want to check it again, yeah, maybe two years apart, to understand. So I I, I send the test off mentally prepared for it, it's going to be bad." I'm 12 years younger than chronologic age. Uh, And of course that makes a lot of sense because my uh, diet self-care routine is so much better than the average Americans. And that's why if you line up my photographs, you know, I I, I look clearly younger. And then uh, if you look at my photograph at age 52, which is my nadir, you know, I looked like I was in my 60s. Mm-hmm. 
and if you did all the, the questionnaires in terms of these uh, uh, chronologic age and uh, biologic age questionnaires you can do online, my uh, uh, theoretic age came up at 69. That's amazing. And now if I answer those same questions, my theoretic age comes up at 39. Mm -hmm which would be about 30 years younger than chronologic age. So now, I don't think that's quite, you're, that's you're quite true. Me. That's what you're saying, Dr. Walls. You're younger than I am. <laughs> so I, I, now that's probably not quite true, but, but clearly uh, my physiology has youthened considerably from mm. where I was at, uh, at my native. Mm. So we're, we're talking about changing our nutrition in order for us to change essentially our, our biology on the most basic levels. Is this, according to your experience, a way to prevent disease going long-term as well? Well, you know, I was talking more and more about health span mm -hmm. and lifespan. Uh, and that I think most of your followers, and I think most of the public would agree that I'm really interested in how long my brain's gonna work well, how long I can uh, take care of myself, manage my own finances, recognize my family members and do the activities of daily life. Uh, that's health span. Okay. And that's actually much more important to me than how long I'm going to live. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and so if we want that, then this is really all about diet and self-care. Right. The quality of your diet, the quality, quality of your sleep, mm -hmm. uh, the quality of your stress reduction pra uh, practice. Right. So when we're looking at the quality of our lifestyle, how would you then define health? Because most of us, whenever we have New Year's resolutions or we're looking to make a change around our health and fitness, the first thing that we say is, I wanna be healthy or I wanna be the healthiest I've ever been. But what does that truly mean? Well, I, I want my cells to be able to run the chemistry of life as optimally as possible. Uh, and it's not so much about, uh, am I taking the right meds as it is, am I providing my cellular environment, the building blocks, the vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, fiber uh, that they need. Uh, and in my clinics, you know, when I really transformed, you know, my understanding of disease and health, mm -hmm. and I started focusing on, on creating health, I was asking patients to add in. Mm -hmm. um, so we started talking about adding in the non-starchy vegetables, um, adding in uh, quality protein, uh, and some healthy fats. Uh, and then when they're ready, we talked about things to remove. Um, we could talk about uh, swapping out um, uh, for their grain processed foods, vegetables, and right. these radical things that their grandmothers knew we should all be having, exactly. right. um, uh, lots of vegetables. Yeah. So what is what does your current protocol look like? I would imagine that it's likely not the exact same protocol that you'd give to every single one of your patients because Correct. they all need a little bit of flexibility. Well, you know, some of the uh, questions I need to sort out is, uh, what are their underlying health issues? Uh, do they have uh, spiritual beliefs around uh, being a vegetarian or a vegan uh, or a meat eater? Um, are they uh, keen on the ketogenic diet? Um, so uh, that's the first set of questions. Mm -hmm. uh, the next set of questions have to do, uh, do you have kids at home? Uh, what are the uh, health issues of the other family members? Um, uh, because I, I really want this to be a family intervention. Right. 
and I want to make changes at a pace that the family can successfully adopt. Right. Sustainable and lifestyle approach. Correct. Right. So depending on how ill the person is, they may be at a point where like, I, I'm suffering so much. I want to do the most therapeutic diet and lifestyle intervention because of the severity of my disability or my pain. Mm-hmm. Or I need to make smaller incremental changes so that we can be successful. Right. Right. And which do you find usually is the most successful? Is it incremental? What the patient, what the patient uh, uh, speaks to their heart. Because I have some folks who are willing to do the walls elimination diet, time-restricted feeding from day one, because that's where their heart is at. Mm -hmm. I have others who are not yet ready to make dietary changes because of uh, a variety of lifestyle lifestyle factors. Mm -hmm. So we we begin on daily meditation. Mm -hmm. I have others who um, are are comfortable with doing a Mediterranean diet and they don't want to do anything else. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Let's do a Mediterranean diet. I have others who are um, uh, uh, devoutly spiritual uh, people who need to be vegetarian and vegans for their spiritual beliefs. Right. So we'll work around that. Right. So th- I, I, the, I guess the basic paleo diet talks about removing grains and removing legumes as, as agents of inflammation, essentially. But let's say with a vegan diet or, or a vegetarian diet, there's a lot of reliance on that food. Group. You're going you're gonna to have to have uh, grains uh, and legumes. Now, there are things you can do to make it safer for them. Right. Uh, and uh, grains and legumes are, are definitely are a problem for some people, but they're mm-hmm. not a problem for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the paleo diet, very helpful uh, for many. Mm-hmm. There are... Uh, um, raw vegans who uh, do have good health. Uh, there are ketogenic eaters who do have good health. Mm-hmm. So the, the reality is, we depending on, on the individual and the microbiome, any one of those eating patterns could be good for them or may be a problem for them. Right. So, so we want to understand the individual. Uh, we under, uh, understand their family. And we'll, we'll pick a diet that we think is a good fit, and then we have to follow them to see if I did pick the right diet for them. Because mm-hmm. I might not have. I might have, It might have been that, in fact, um, a Mediterranean diet was going to be a better fit. Or, in fact, a keto diet was going to be a better fit. Or a um, uh, my level two Wallace Pelly diet was going to be a better fit. So it's a matter of making sure it's a good fit for the family, what they can do. And then you have to follow closely to verify. Right. That, yes, things are improving. Right. So very clear that it has to be sustainable. It has to be flexible and adaptable to the person. But yes. what are your non-negotiables? What are what are your basic well, concepts that must be applied in each and every single one of these diets? Um, you want to get rid of the things that are really harmful. Mm-hmm. Sugar, yes. processed foods. Um, I, I think across all the dietary plans um, that are associated with health, they have reduced, eliminated those foods. Uh, we also reduce, eliminate food additives. Mm-hmm. We reduce, eliminate uh, trans fats. So you clearly need to uh, take that up. You need to have sufficient protein. Mm-hmm. If we don't have the proteins, uh, we can't make our uh, internal structures. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that uh, is so important. Uh, uh, then we need to have uh, 
the correct ratio of fats, omega-3 and mixed uh, fatty acids. And you need sufficient omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids to make your cell membranes. Right. Uh, you want to uh, be sure you have enough cholesterol so you can make your vitamins, vitamin D, uh, estrogen, testosterone, cortisol. Uh, so that, that all the dietary patterns uh, should have. Right. Then, depending on the circumstances, um, it's going to uh, influence how many uh, fruits and vegetables I'm going to have, whether or not I'm going to include fruit. Uh, it will influence um, uh, what type of protein sources that we're going to use. Mm -hmm. uh, and it will probably also influence what amount of carbohydrate uh, I'm going to recommend. Right. Okay. And so I'd imagine also your family follows along the same protocol as you. So there are a lot of elements that we share. So there's no gluten in the house. Uh, we don't have dairy in the house. Uh, my family does eat more carbs uh, than I do. Um, I engage in more uh, fasting patterns uh, than my uh, family does. Uh, although, you know, before the pandemic, uh, my wife and I would do uh, 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 periodic fasts together. Uh, we have uh, stopped that due to the pandemic. Uh, so now we do more of an intermittent fasting pattern. All right. And what does that fasting pattern look like for you? Um, I eat uh, uh, one, one meal a day, sometimes every other day. Uh, sometimes I'll fast two days. Okay. All right. So where do we then, Dr. Wall, get to a point where we are not waiting for disease to happen for us to react? Oftentimes we're, we're waiting for a pain point, something you know, well, negative happens to us, and then that's where we decide to make change. Our biology, uh, it, it, for us and probably all um, uh, animals, is that our brains are wired so that we pay attention to things that give us pleasure, and we will increase those pleasurable activities. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, if you don't do that, you don't have as much sex, you don't eat as much, you'll have less reproductive sex. So if ever you have a mutation that gets you less interested in pleasure, that's going to disappear from the species. Mm. That means, because we're also very effective at communication and competition, that over our millions of years as a species, we've developed businesses. And our businesses are very effective at creating products that appeal to our pleasure. Right. Uh, and therefore, we are surrounded by products that uh, um, are... Addictive. Addictive. Yeah. Uh, so our recreation, our social media, so our phones, our computers, uh, addict us uh, into engagement. The uh, algorithms uh, uh, give us more sensational headlines, posts, videos that addict us and, and send us into some very unhealthy belief structures and behaviors that are a problem. Mm. The things that we consume, the food consume, again, stimulate the pleasure. Uh, and again, with those food additives can uh, get us consuming foods that don't have nutritional value. Right. And crowd out the foods that do have nutritional value. Uh, and then uh, our, our, our chairs, our beds, our living environment uh, is so comfortable, we have less and less stress. Mm -hmm. So stress, you know, we, we think of stress as a problem. Stress is not the problem. 
we, we want to have intermittent mild to moderate stress followed by recovery period so that our, our, our uh, systems are stressed and then recovered. Mm -hmm. But if we never have heat stress or cold stress, if we never have to have exercise or fighting gravity, uh, then that becomes very destructive to our physiology. Right. And that's 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 so true because stress is our fight or flight response. It's it's natural. We're meant to, but it's that prolonged state that we stay in that ends up creating that disease. And we hear that diet is not just what we eat. It's also what we hear. It's it's what we say. It's what we watch. It's the environment that we're in. And this has a huge factor also on our gut yes. microbiome, on our, our biome, on all of our hormonal cascades as well. Is this part of what you teach as well in the walls yeah, protocol? You know, I, I, I talk about this, that, you know, uh, they, they think of the walls diet. Well, um, so there is a part of it that talks about the food. And I've, I've just explained any facets to what I teach. But I also talk about our uh, self-care routine, how we manage stress that stress uh, should be pulsatile, intermittent, how we manage exercise, how we detox. Um, uh, we talk about uh, internal motivation, uh, your willingness to make these changes. So it, it's the way of living with yourself and your family and your environment. Right. It's not a diet. Right. Right. It's 100% a, a lifestyle. So lectins comes up a lot and, and there's a lot of sort of mixed messages about lectins. We hear that yeah. lectins cause inflammation and then disease. And then from other sources, we hear that, well, we can actually adapt to lectins, but we need to slowly introduce them and give them some time. So where is your take on that? So um, I, I, there are some interesting folks saying, you know, go on a meat only diet, carnivore diet, get rid of all the lectins. Right. Lectins are in meat. Mm. Lectins are uh, in dairy. Uh, they're in eggs. Uh, they're in plants. Lectins are everywhere. Mm. So we can we can have a, a lower lectin diet, uh, but unless you quit eating, you cannot go to a zero lectin diet. Right. There may be proteins and antigens to which you do have an abnormal immune response, mm. uh, and so yes. I think it, it can be very helpful. I, I do have a low, lower lectin diet uh, in my dietary plan. And I talk about ways to help identify which proteins are a problem for you mm -hmm. uh, and how to do that with uh, an elimination diet or how to do that with food sensitivity testing. Uh, but they're not uniformly bad. Uh, if they were uniformly bad, we would be unable to eat any food. Right, right. And that's, that's definitely a, a very big um, sort of hot topic these days, especially with, you know, a lot of advocates of the vegan diet and, um, and, and of course, the opposite. So coming back to the topic of health, is health then something that is sort of customizable for each person based on what they can tolerate, based on their reaction to the food that they eat and then the lifestyle that they are living? Or is there a particular protocol that we are all striving to achieve? Well, um, remember there's a lot of diversity with our uh, DNA, a lot of diversity with our microbiome. Uh, and so even uh, for you and I, we have our, our, our DNA uh, and what's flipped on and off in terms of our epigenetic will change based on our self-care routine and our microbiome. Mm -hmm. 
And so the foods that you and I tolerate now will change as the epigenetics change and as the microbiome changes. Mm -hmm. uh, and furthermore, our nutritional needs change depending on are we pregnant, are we nursing, are we menopausal, am I postmenopausal, am I elderly, am I uh, uh, the old elderly? So things are continually changing. What, what I uh, do in my book is I, I teach people how to pay attention to those changes so you can assess you know, using um, your symptoms and your response to your self-care routine to know, are things going well? Do I have to do a better job, make other adjustments? And has the season of my life changed? Mm -hmm. Am I uh, trying to get pregnant? Am I, am I nursing? Uh, am I now uh, menopausal? Am I now over the age of 65? So now I have to worry more about muscle mass. Right. It's, it's more complicated and more nuanced. Mm. Uh, and so the more educated you are, the more carefully you can fine tune your responses. Right, right. And so your protocol... I know originally it was designed for for you and to find a way to nourish your body to be able to regain some function back. What other conditions are you seeing success with this protocol? Well, we, we certainly have seen this with many, many autoimmune conditions, multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, systemic lupus, uh, psoriasis, inflammatory bowel disease, uh, um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, uh, asthma. So if you have an autoimmune disease, and many people who have chronic pain, fatigue, and autoantibodies, but don't yet have an autoimmune diagnosis, they do very, very well mm -hmm. at uh, improving their energy, improving uh, their mental clarity, improving their mood, uh, reducing their pain by implementing the protocol. Right. We've all, and many of these folks also have important comorbid conditions. Uh, insulin resistance, prediabetes, diabetes, fatty liver disease, uh, cardiovascular disease. We find that all of those things tend to stabilize and regress. Many of these people also have the comorbid problems of anxiety, depression. Um, uh, they may have had PTSD. Uh, those things improve. In the VA, I uh, was also part of the traumatic brain injury clinic, uh, people who had uh, post-concussion uh, problems. Uh, and so I used these principles in that clinic. And I found that, again, their pain, their light sensitivity uh, improved, the ability to get along with their friends, their family, their coworkers improved. The folks that I saw were more likely to still have their jobs uh, a year later, as opposed to the folks who I didn't see, mm -hmm. because we helped them get over their post-concussion uh, problems. Right. So what then becomes the most important nutrients or factors in this food? I know you recommend to eat organ meat at least once a week. And I know that you advocate at least yeah. nine cups of vegetables every single day. But what is truly like, where is the medicine truly in the food that is creating this impact? Well, um, because the food is so nutrient dense, um, uh, one of the uh, beauties, Sherry, is I also do clinical research. Mm. So we've been investigating uh, my dietary plan now uh, 10 years. We have uh, investigated the quality of the diet uh, using uh, food, food records, 24-hour dietary recalls. Uh, and so 
we're able to say that, you know, following the Walls diet, the quality of the diet improves, the vitamin content improves, the antioxidant content improves, the essential fatty uh, acid intake improves, the uh, fiber improves, the uh, uh, amount of added sugar declines. Uh, it, and so, you know, uh, the original question was because it, it eliminates whole food groups that were decreasing the quality of the diet. Right. We have consistently, with every study that we've done, measured the quality of the diet and consistently show it is always better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think that's the most, most important thing I, I want to convey to your audience mm-hmm. is that most of the uh, food and nutrition writers uh, out there that advocate for one diet or another, very few of them do actual research. Yes. Very few of them, uh, yeah, they may do some research, but they don't usually analyze the diet quality uh, of the diet they study. They mm-hmm. don't usually take the time to analyze the vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, fats, protein, uh, fiber, and, because they don't want to have to admit or know, is the diet better Right. Then the dietary guidelines diet or not, uh, does diet quality go up or down as people implement the diet? Right. Um, we, we measure clinical outcomes. Yep. We measure biomarkers. Yes. But we also measure using the gold standard diet quality and we report that out. Right. Yeah. And, and most of these diets are really in place to help lose weight. It's really about aesthetics. Yes. It's not about that. Again, that biomolecular level that we are talking about today. So Dr. Walls, what, what are the principles of your protocol for our audience? If anybody wants to get an idea of, of, well, sort of what the basics are. So the, the simplest thing I do is, is go to my website, terrywalls.com forward slash diet. We have a, a great one page handout you can put in your refrigerator. Uh, uh, and so we want you to swap out the added sugar processed foods, high glycemic foods for non-starchy vegetables. I uh, prefer... Uh, green leafy vegetables, uh, uh, cabbage family, onion family, mushroom family vegetables, deeply colored things, beets, carrots, berries. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to have uh, protein. Now, I prefer meat, fish, poultry, but if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, you're going to have to do gluten-free grains uh, and legumes. Right. Uh, so that's that's where you start. Uh, and then uh, we can uh, further advance into more paleolithic levels, more ketogenic levels or the elimination diet. Right. So essentially, based on how your patient is progressing, you would start to make adaptations. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Well, this is amazing, uh, Dr. Walls. I'm so privileged to have you on here today. Is there any final message that you want to share with our viewers, our audience? You know, if I can come back in a year's time from being unable to sit up, uh, facing uh, relentlessly worsening trigeminal neuralgia, to being pain-free, uh, uh, clear mind, clear mood, and biking 18.5 miles a year later, then there's plenty of hope for you to have a radical transformation of your health using these principles. That's amazing. And so if somebody wanted to find you, where would they go? You shared your website. Where else can they find you? So uh, find me on uh, Facebook and Twitter, uh, Terry Walls, T-E-R-R-Y, Walls, W-A-H-L-S. And on Instagram, Dr. Terry Walls, that's D-R, Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, Walls, W-A-H-L-S. Amazing. Thank you so much again for being with us today.
Much love to you and your family. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fall in Love with Fitness. Whether you're already on your fitness journey or just getting started, we're in this together. Just head on over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review, and you'll be entered into the drawing to win my six-week transformation course. Then go to fallinlovewithfitness.com and get your free gift from me so you get back your energy and reinvigorate your life. Join me on the next episode, and remember, you are an inspiration.